Episode four of Next in Q. I am your host, Rob Dwyer. And joining me today, uh, I, I really don't have any title other than CX expert for this man, Jason Scott Livingston. Welcome to Next in Q. How are you? Good. Thanks, man. Yeah, no title here. Let's just keep it easy. <laughs> you know, you and I uh, actually met at a digital event of course you know the last year has been a lot of digital events and and uh, we happen to be attending the same session of a digital event and i think both of us kind of uh, were taken aback by uh, something that someone suggested in that yeah. event. and uh, we both kind of chatted in there and then uh, i think maybe you hit me up on linkedin and then mm-hmm. we chatted there for a little bit and um it was great getting to know you then. And um, the more that I have spent time just kind of looking at your history, the more fascinated I am. Um, so uh, one of the things that I have told people in the customer experience industry or the contact center industry is uh, that it can allow for some amazing travel opportunities. And sometimes it allows for you to actually live in some amazing different places. So um, we don't have to cover it all, but let's talk about some of the different places that you've traveled throughout your career and, and lived. Yeah, I mean, part of CX anyway, I mean, because, you you know, there's so many components to good customer service. You always got to consider where to place, you know, your your CS support. And so, as a result of that, you typically end up traveling. It's really short-sighted. You'll see those companies that they set up their CX team in San Francisco, and you're like, okay, yeah, that's that's not going to scale, right? <laughs> um, you're not going to retain anybody because you're not going to be able to pay them enough. But um, right. so, you know, as part of that, you know, you're going to move around. And I've been with CX for long enough that, you know, I've gone through the India phase, the Philippines phase. So I've spent time in both of those places quite a bit. But, um, yeah, you know, I I – I grew up in Mexico City, and I got the bug even as a young man, uh, as a kind of as, as a teenager. And you know, I just was like, man, I want to do this. So anytime there was an opportunity to do anything international, I jumped on it. And so you know, I date myself going back to AOL days. I ended up making that really clear, and so helped them open up their Indian call center, and then ended up in Luxembourg running, you know, German, French, and uh, their UK. Uh, CX platforms for, you know, for AOL uh, until they kind of sold all that off and, you know, ended up back in the States again. And, uh, you know, then I, you know, eventually ended up with a a little company called Bioware, which now got gobbled up by EA. It's a big gaming company. Mm -hmm. They make some pretty awesome stuff. And, um, you know, you know, I was sitting in Austin and I'm like, guys, there's some pretty great opportunities in Ireland and we need English speakers. And, Mm Well, I mean, any it's really hard to to get upset with an Irish accent as an American, right? So when you're, you're talking right. to a CS agent, he's got that cute little Lucky Charms thing going on. It's really <laughs> hard to yell at him, and so I'm like, man, this is a this is a no brainer. CSAT's built in with the accent. So, 
but that isn't really the reason we ended up there. There was a lot of other, uh, you know, reasons behind it from a kind of financial strategic perspective, but I ended up having to relocate and spend a few years over there. And then, you know, I, I worked for a, uh, you know, a global company called Cordstrap that offices all over the planet. And I, I was home one week a month for that. And then, you know, and, you know, when I wasn't at home, I was either in, you know, the Netherlands or Germany or, I mean, you name it. I mean, we had a, we had a site in Dubai. I was just all over the place. And then, you know, I got tapped to go uh, work for Coupang in Korea and I spent, you know, a couple of years in Seoul, which was fantastic. And now I just live in boring old California. <laughs> boring old California. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I have a few questions, but I understand that you speak another language as well. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's always interesting because people are like, well, how? Um, so, yeah, you know, I, I learned a little Spanish because I grew up there. And then, uh, like I said, my last year was a high school in Mexico City, but I went to a private school. So I spoke English all day. So my Spanish sucked. I didn't really learn it very well. <laughs> but I am uh, I'm a member of, the, of a, a church that a lot of people have heard of, Latter-day Saints, Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints. Anyway, You've seen those dudes on the bikes, you know, with the little name tags, you know, when you're 19 or 18, you're supposed to go out for two years. So I did that. I ended up getting sent to Russia. So I spent, you know, 93 to 95 living in Russia, which was a total shock and amazing experience. But, you know, you live like a Russian for two years. You speak pretty good Russian when you come out of the other end of that. Uh, and then somehow I got married and convinced my wife to go back there with me because you know, it was the Wild West of Russia at that time. And we lived there from 97 to 2000, and that was a crazy great experience. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm not – I used to be pretty fluent, but, um, you know, out of practice. So right. yeah. uh, I could say something in Russian if you like for the Russian viewers, but мой язык как старая машина, очень сложно начинать его, но когда идет, no, это неплохо. So I basically just said my, you know, my Russian's like an old car. It's really hard to get it started, <laughs> you know, but once it warms up, then it, then it goes pretty good. So, uh, yeah, huh. so that's, that's my Russian. Nice. Like a Lada, huh? Just mm. that, is that the old car? Oh yeah. Yeah. The Lada. Oh yeah. I got a, <laughs> or Jubilee. I like the Jubilee the best, man. That, that car was awesome. That's their four wheel drive vehicle. That thing was, uh, you know, think of like a, a Kia Sportage, like the old model, and then even shrink it smaller and then make it like 10 times tougher. And that's, you know, the Jubilee. It was an amazing little car. Anyway, yeah. Well, that's fascinating. You know, I took German in high school and college and then had no real reason to use it. I wish I would have taken Spanish, actually. But <laughs> I went to... Um, Went to Europe uh, a couple of years ago. We actually stayed in in um, Germany, in uh, Berlin. And I'll tell you what, it's amazing how quickly, uh, I shouldn't say quickly, because it was like 20 plus years for me. But yeah, it disappears in a hurry. By the end of like a week there, I finally had some pigeon German working where I could like talk <laughs> to a cabbie. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. It kind of comes back over time. It's in there somewhere and... Yeah, yeah I, I joke with, you know, I've got three children and my kids grew up in all these crazy places. You know, I'm like my son, he spoke Luxembourgish, you know, better than he spoke English at one point. And, you know, he would speak to our, you know, the nanny there all day long in Luxembourgish. You know, now he doesn't remember any of it. But I told him that, you know, that's the thing, like when you're young and if you get that kind of Play-Doh-y language, you know, exposure I think it wires your brain a certain way. And so when we lived in Korea, he was really able to pick up Korean really fast. And yeah, he's 
been able to take advantage of that skill. But yeah, it's one I envy in people because I work my butt off learning Russian and, you know, I've had to keep it up. But if you, I can't speak Spanish to save my life because the only thing that yeah. comes out is Russian now. So it was, it's really, <laughs> my parents were living in, in Mexico after I finished in Russia. And so like, as you know, as a 21 year old kid, I flew home from Russia to Mexico and <laughs> I'm out with my dad, you know, and he's having these meetings and I'm meeting people and I can totally understand what they're saying. You know, I'm como, como un perro, yo entiendo, no, no hablo español. I'm like a dog. I, I speak, but I, I, I understand, but I can't speak. And so, yeah, I'm sitting there and, you know, I could, I totally knew what they were saying. I wanted to respond, but the only thing that would come out of my face was Russian. It was really frustrating. So, but yeah, it's a pretty cool thing. Anyway, wow. let's, uh, yeah, enough about me. <laughs> let's talk about Rob and let's talk about CX. <laughs> oh man, this podcast is not about me. It's always about you. No. So, no. Uh, you know, I'm curious, um, obviously, right. You've stayed in this industry. For a mm -hmm. long time, what is it about CX that that drives you? I mean, what what makes you passionate about it? Well, I think you know everything's an evolution, and and life is undulation, ups and downs. And so, you know, there were times where I was ready to throw in the towel and never work for CX again. And I think every call center agent has gotten to those that point at some point in their career. You know, and you kind of lose the magic, but. I think it's really been interesting because this year alone, I think I've really crystallized it down into three points and it's kind of evolved into this. You know, my earliest exposure was on a program management side with AOL and it was kind of an accident. It's not like I intended to end up in CX. I was actually doing kind of business development and sales and working in, uh, you know, this is, this dates me, but working kind of in the currency space because, you know, this is before the euro. And so we were, I was working for a company that was partnering with PayPal to basically allow people to do cross currency purchases and set up their website, be able to take payment in whatever currency they wanted to across Europe and Asia. Um, you know, so it was a huge departure for me, but I had a friend who worked at AOL and he, he said, dude, come in and interview. I think you'd be great here. And so I ended up interviewing and he, he you know, I didn't realize, but he was the head of HR for the CX group. And so that was <laughs> kind of what I ended up interviewing for. But, you know, I was there for AOL for a really incredible experience in time, which is, you know, and they're kind of famous for that barrier to cancel. I don't know if yeah. you remember that. There was oh, a yeah. huge class action lawsuit. I, I, you, know, you can still go watch the YouTube video of uh, Mr. Ferrari who called in. That literally is his last name and basically recorded the call. And, you know, he's sitting there screaming into the phone over and over <laughs> and over, cancel my account. I don't know if you remember this. It was on all, all of the news channels. But I mean, I'm laughing because that was our policy. Like you as a sales agent, they had to say the word cancel three times before you were allowed to action the account. You know, that was the rule and which is insane. Right. And so yeah, this whole, yeah. this whole negative approach and this whole reactive response, it kind of crystallized in my mind how not to do CX. So sorry, AOL, but that's really a lot of what I took away from them. You know, and I early in my career, I worked on a program and this is way before, you know, like the 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 trend for big data and AI. But we were pulling data from AOL, and, you know, because AOL was more than just an ISP. You know, we were a community. We had a whole yeah. internal network, you know, of websites and content. And so we could track what you were doing. And so we started putting together what we called the retention buddy, which is when you called to cancel, we would then look at you as a profile and say, hey, this guy never uses this feature, but he's prone to use this feature. So if we tell him about it and give him a free month, he'll use it. It'll become sticky and he'll stay. Sure. 
And I'm like, this is stupid. If we know this, why aren't we telling them now before they call us? Like, why are we waiting till someone is ready to walk out the door to try to sell them on what is great about us? So, you know, that that switch from reactive to proactive, I think, was just the first key step. And, you know, and I, you, know, you talk to anybody who works in this space, and unfortunately for years, it's getting better now because of the real you know, push and, you know, CX is the new marketing battlefront. Everybody can see that and people are starting to get wise to that. And, and so it's changed a lot, but it used to be that CX was like the least thanked organ, you know, part of the organization that existed. Like you were like the lowest yeah. common denominator. Nobody cared about you uh, unless something was wrong. And then they wanted to come yell at you, but you know, it didn't matter all the victories you had because no one, you know, you were a cost center. People didn't yeah. understand the value that CX brought. So you know, and I fought against that for years, and I really tried to look for companies that got the fact that, you know, we needed to lean in and create a better relationship with customers. So the first key thing was that proactive reactive. And then, you know, the second one was you know, finding that method of communicating that message, which is that CX is actually an investment, that, you know, it's an opportunity to create what is now termed as customer success, which is, I think, a misnomer because it's kind of turned into a term for the sales team, which it's not, yeah. or after sales team or inside sales. You know, if you look up in Wikipedia, the definition of customer success, it talks about the very first sentence talks about how, you know, this is the organization or, or the part of the organization that's focus is to make sure that the company is getting the acts, the, the, the company is getting the maximum benefit they can out of the customer and vice versa. So the customer is getting the absolute maximum value they can from that company. So it's nurturing that relationship. And so to me, when you read that definition, that's CX, you know, yeah. through and through. And so to me, customer success is that. And uh, so that kind of is the second then. And then the third one this year, which is really crystallized, comes from my experience with Coupon, which is there are so many black holes out there. And what I mean by that is so many companies have just gotten so accustomed to their certain protocols and policies that they can't see the forest from the trees. Like they're just so blind. Um, I'll give you a great example, uh, and this is an old one, but I did a little consulting years ago for a group called Pace Harmon. Um, they're a DC-based consultancy firm. They deal more on kind of data center and tech side, but they had an interesting contract with Fannie Mae. President Obama had come out with this new program, Making Homes Affordable, as you guys remember. If you had, if excuse me, if you had a Fannie Mae or a Freddie Mac loan, you could you know, you could check to see if you were eligible. And if you were, you could like refinance and get this great reduced rate. Um, and so Fannie Mae went from, you know, they had this outsourced call center in Salt Lake City through one of their clients and or through a third party. And, uh, you know, they got 10,000 calls a month and they went from 10,000 calls a month to 10,000 calls a day as soon as this protocol went into place. You know, and they're like, oh, we want you to come in and do a review of our contract. Are we with the right partner? How do we negotiate better terms? Because we need to be able to handle this massive volume as long as this program continues, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so, yeah, I spent six weeks doing a deep dive reviewing their contract. Uh, you know, I flew out to Salt Lake, spent time with them, spent time in D.C. at Fannie Mae's headquarters talking to the owner, you know, like the head of their CS group. At the end of the day, the diagnosis was super simple. Um, I told them to switch to web pages. Uh, essentially, <laughs> what happened is when you go to Fannie Mae's website, there was a front page that said, hey, making, for, making homes affordable, you know, CARE Act from President Obama. Uh, call here to see if you're eligible. Click here to you know put the information in. So you, it basically had the phone number on the very first page in huge letters. 
And then you, if you click to the next page, it had the form that you had to fill out to see if you were eligible. And the great irony is what was happening is when the phone rang at the consult or at the outsourcer, they would literally go to that website, go to the second page and type in for the customer, the information. And I'm like, just switch them. And so, you know, they switched those two pages and their call volume went back to normal immediately. Like, instantaneously overnight and they spent a million dollars probably with pace army to figure out that their web pages were out of order but that's what i mean like you're just so blind to your processes that you miss the obvious thing and sometimes it's not the obvious thing sometimes it's just stuff you've learned to live with like how many companies do you know they know their top 10 cancellation reasons or their top 10 call drivers and they're the same call drivers for five years like what are you doing to stop that in that's the black holes I'm talking about where you've just learned to live with things or you have issues that you can't even see that if you can solve, you're going to delight the customer and you're going to extend that relationship and truly deliver on success for the company. So those are kind of my three key, uh, you know, uh, I guess mission statements around CX that have kept me going in this space forever. And I think the other thing that I would just throw out there too, is I've, I've been really fortunate to jump around to various industries. Like, you know, I've worked in the ISP, ISP space, gaming space, you know, blue collar strapping and shipping <laughs> space, uh, you know, e-commerce cutting edge, you know, massive growth, 100% a year, uh, unicorn coupon. So, you know, I've just been able to do so many things. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to that core principle of, how are we managing the relationship with the customer and and treating it the way we want, you know, and, and treating them the way that they want to be treated and, and growing that relationship. So anyway, yeah, yeah I, I talked too much on that. So no, let's go ahead. You <laughs> didn't. I mean, really that proactive approach, you are so spot on the money there that, you know, a, a, I think this is true of any of the companies that you think about that have, a really loyal following, you know, one of the measures, and it's often people use it the wrong way, and, mm-hmm. and that's MPS, Net Promoter. That can, however, tell you a lot, and the companies that have incredible annually just great Net Promoter scores, I think they are proactive in their in their CX space, mm-hmm. and they're easy to work with, and those are the kinds of companies that people will like brag about say yeah i you know i mean i'll admit it all right i i take almost a weekly trip to costco half the time i don't even need anything like i just want to go to costco (laughs) stupid Mm -hmm. um but they're they're really good with their with their cx they're good about communicating with um their customers when they need to and they're good about letting you know you know what's coming up it's not i don't have to worry about uh if i'm going to go buy something and it's going to go on sale next week because i know what's going to go on sale it's funny you say that because you know we met because uh you know we were both watching the same webinar online and, and the guy was kind of just going on i can't even remember what the specific subject was maybe you do i just remember that it, it was so um 
so wrong in my mind that I had to say something. And that's the thing. I am getting older, and so I'm turning into a bit of a curmudgeon. I'm like the guy on the porch yelling, <laughs> you know, yelling at the kids to get off the lawn, especially when it comes to CX, right? I just I'm starting to lose patience because I've been preaching this gospel of CX for 20 years now, and people are just barely starting to get it. And there's just no excuse anymore that you, you can't. You know, I'll give you an example, and this is something I thought of just a few minutes ago when we were talking and why I got a little distracted, but it's it's an example I've used a lot, and it comes from a, a really great social media book I read a few years back, and I'm trying to remember the author's name so I can give him credit, but I can't see the book, so I'm not going to be able to remember. Maybe I'll find it later and email it to you, but he talks about how, you know, 2,000 years ago when you wanted to buy something, you know, you'd go down to the market, and right. the the shopping experience or the purchasing experience, that customer vendor relationship was very different because it was you know it was it was visceral i mean it was direct like you were talking directly face to face with the the comp you know the, the company or the person you were purchasing from but more than that when you go down to the market and you're going to buy bananas you could talk to your friends and neighbors and say hey who has the best bananas today you know because right. every vendor is going to tell you that their bananas are the ripest but you you could talk to your community and and you had that personal direct relationship um, and it just was such a different experience, you know, and then we created television and, and radio and we, or and vice versa, radio, then television. And we, we created commercials and we, we started paying these guys called marketers all this money to tell all these great stories as Seth Godin says, or essentially lied yeah, to us, yeah. uh, and convince us that, you know, this is the best banana in the world. And we believed them for a long time. And then we started to wake up to the fact that, wow, they don't always tell us the truth, you know, then, you know, society as a whole started to realize that marketers lie. So now, you know, and then I don't know if you're familiar with the guy named Pete Blackshaw. He wrote an incredible book and I recommend it to everybody who's listening to this podcast. It changed my life when it came to CX. Uh, you know, it's basically happy customers tell three people, unhappy customers to tell, tell 10,000. That's literally the title. It's very long. But the concept is is essentially, and we've all heard the adage, happy customers tell three and unhappy till 10. His point was, no, now that you got social media, yeah. you know, if I'm happy, I'm probably not going to go blast it out on social media. I may tell a few people. But if I'm unhappy, I'm going to write a song about it, about how Delta <laughs> breaks guitars or United breaks guitars, and it's going to become a YouTube video and wreck their stock price. Like, it totally changed everything. And you know, he created the consumerist uh, website, you know, consumerist website, which is gone now, but was awesome. And for a while, you know, they had the Golden Pooh Award, where basically they invited, you know, the U.S. population to vote on the worst CX companies in the world. And Comcast won for a bunch of years. EA won twice in a row. And, yeah, it was pretty bad. But anyway, um, where I'm trying to get with this is, you know, Bezos figured this out with Amazon and created the ability for people to come online and, and review books anonymously and i would challenge you to find anybody who purchases books anymore based on what the book jacket says because they're, they're going to go read a total stranger's opinion and trust that over anything a marketer writes because you know they they i mean i never buy anything based on what it says on the ad i go down and read all the public comments like this thing's a piece of crap i bought it didn't work you know or or i love this thing it's great it did exactly what it said you know that that's that's the power of what uh social media and the internet have done it's returned us back to the 2000 year ago model of being able to take the power out of the hands of the companies and the companies that haven't figured that out yet are the ones that are going to get destroyed but the ones that go hey we got to lean in here 
we got to develop this relationship of trust. We got to talk to the customers where they're at. We've got to be honest. We need to engage with the reviews, listen to the voice of the customer, all of that CX work. That's, you know, those are the ones that are going to be able to thrive and survive. So, but anyway, yeah, I, I can't even remember what your original question was around. Oh, I do remember now NPS. Um, so it's just funny because, you know, I went from, working in ISP and gaming and stuff, and then ended up at Coupon, which is very much like the Amazon model, right? So here you're, you know, you were, you know, my, my big thing was contacts per million units, you know, so how, how many contacts am I getting extrapolated out to the millionth unit, right? And the reason that's important is because I may be selling a ton of this item and the contact volume, you know, if it's at a certain thresholds, okay, I may spend, or I may, you know, I may start selling this item and only send t- sell 10 of them. But if I'm getting, you know, one call per 10, that's a pretty, you know, if I sell a million of those, what's that going to look like from a call volume perspective? So, you know, we had, we had these settings to just kick in. Well, you know, when I joined my CEO was like, Hey, you know, I'm really concerned about what our North star needs to be around CX and CS. And, you know, I'm, I'm leaning towards NPS. Well, it's funny because Amazon doesn't use NPS at all. They actually ignore that as a metric completely. And, you know, so the, my partner, the guy I was working with who was ex-Amazon, was trying to convince him that that was a bad idea. And I'm not a huge NPS guy myself. I think there's a huge value into it, but only in relationship to when you ask the question, where you ask the question. So, yeah, like we had a post-delivery NPS. We had a generic NPS that we would ask to a random subset of customers every year, you know, not based on any interaction. Then we had like a post-CS uh, NPS and those are all very different, right? Yeah. But NPS is only really valuable in as far as you compare it to your other metrics in my mind. And I've always looked at metrics as a three-legged stool when it comes to CS, which is NPS, CSAT, and your internal quality score. Because if your quality, you know, is is consistent, you know, you, you're you're doing what you're supposed to from a policies and procedures perspective. Agents are killing it, and you know your CSAT's fairly stable but your NPS is dropping like a rock, well, that may have nothing to do with CS. Your CEO may have gone online and, you know, made a racial epithet, and now everybody hates your company, right? So, you know, it's it's not specifically connected to you, but if your NPS is flying up and your CSAT's going through the roof and your quality's dropping like a rock, then your agents are gaming the system and giving away the farm. Everybody's happy when they get free stuff, but, you know, they're violating company policy, so... But anyway, it's interesting to bring that. And then the, the other key thing about NPS, not to beat it up too much, is it always really bothered me how, you know, you could kill yourself to move your entire customer, you know, or not entire, but a huge subsection of your customer base, you know, from a three up to a four or even a five, and it makes zero difference on your that. score, right? So it's just a hard way to measure actual performance, you know, because if you're trying to see if a program is having effect and you're only looking at NPS, you won't know unless it has a massive effect and it'll be probably too late, you know, to really understand, how, you know, how that effect took place. So you got to kind of combine metrics in my mind, but anyway, sorry, NPS is a sore subject with me. No, I, <laughs> you brought it up. No, I, I, I did. I, it's funny. I wrote a, a blog post, I don't know, um, six months ago, maybe. And it was about, uh, specifically, right, surveys in general and how we can use them the wrong way. And uh, I used an example. I actually had a had a service request at my apartment. Like I don't I don't remember exactly what it was, but you know something was 
broken, I needed it fixed, whatever the case was. And afterwards, I got an email from my apartment complex, and it was an MPS survey. And I was like, they were like, you know, based off your recent service request, how likely are you to recommend <laughs> blah, blah, And I was like, like, on the list of things that would drive me to recommend a place to live to someone, this service request is really, really, really low on the list. Yeah. So, you know, I responded and I'm like, yeah, this really isn't how you should use MPS. Like, I'm not going to answer this survey, but I'm going to tell you that this is a horrible, like, you need to stop. That's so, awesome. I, you, please yeah. send me that link. I want to read it. Sure, I will. It's, it's just one of those things where, you know, what I think a lot of organizations at one point in time got really hooked on this right and mm -hmm. a lot of a lot of different things that we do uh as large organizations are based on trends sometimes right and so so and so is implementing this nps program okay well everybody else is implementing ai NPS. is awesome everybody's got yeah have AI. yeah everybody's got to have ai that's the huge huge buzzword um these days but right it's all about how you use it, where you use it, when you use it, that is going to make a difference or not. And we have to be very thoughtful about how we approach that. And there's nothing wrong with a survey of any kind, as long as it's done the right way, the right time, for the right reason. Well said, I completely agree. Stick around for more of my conversation with Jason Scott Livingston right after this break. It's not your agents. It's not even your training. It's the support when your agents are supporting your customers that your agents don't have. And that's where Happy2 comes in. We provide custom workflows, responsive scripting, and dynamic contextual help topics to guide your agents when they need it the most, when they're helping your customers. And we designed it with your operations team in mind, not the IT team. When changes need to be made, your ops team makes them and deploys them in minutes. Find out more about how Happy2 can reduce your training time reduce your handle time, and increase your resolution at happy2.com. That's H-A-P-P-I-T-U.com. And hey, shout out to my good friends, Big Red Horse, who provide the music for this podcast. You can check them out at bigredhorseband.com. You can also find them on YouTube or wherever you stream music. Now let's get back to my conversation with Jason. I want to switch gears a little bit, and this is going to be super unrelated to all of the CX, but um, one of the things that has uh, kept us in touch a little bit, actually, honestly, and this is a little bit more of a serious subject of a different, uh, different matter, but so you've got a, you've got a cabin mm -hmm. uh, up in Northern California and, uh, that was under some threat. Oh yeah, fires and and I saw that you were you were posting about that. Um, you know, I I think for those of us that don't live in that area, don't necessarily 
think about that kind of thing very often, but I'm wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about just kind of what was going through your head some of those times that you're up there and trying to, you know, take care of things on the outside just to uh, pr- protect that that beautiful cabin that you've got. Yeah, it's really, uh, you know, thanks for bringing that up. Um, it, you know, we bought it uh, back in November, you know, kind of the height of COVID, we were just needed a break. Like I was losing my mind. I, I lived in California when I worked for Zynga and I had drugged my feet my whole career trying to avoid ever living here. Um, not that there's anything really wrong with California. It's just <laughs> not my cup of tea. And, um, you know, working in San Francisco and walking downtown of San, you know, San Francisco every day was just a real kind of challenge. If you've been there, you know, it's a great place to maybe visit for a short period, but living there is a little bit harder. And, um, yeah, I'm, I'm probably gonna be banned now. They're gonna kick me out. Somebody's gonna see this, but anyway, uh, I, I bought this place up North just because I needed a, 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 you know, a place to get away. And at the time I was reading a book called deep work, which I recommend, which is a really interesting book. And it talks about how, you know, some of the most like famous thinkers that we know of, um, they would do this. Like they would find this secluded, quiet place where they would just go away to do their deepest, uh, thinking. And, you know, you, you got to get to a point of no distraction. And when we got the place, I mean, it's so off the grid that there's no cell phone service at all up there. And my only Wi-Fi connection was through a satellite that I got put in, you know, satellite internet. And I'm waiting on Starlink. I think I told you this, but, um, yeah. and hopefully it's going to show up. Elon promised by the end of the year. And he <laughs> I've been signed up since like November. So hopefully it'll show up soon. But, you know, I'm on a company called Viasat. And their CSAT's okay. I got to give them that. You know, they're they're uh, they're not bad. But um, you know, satellite internet, so it's it's got its issues. But I mean, it took like a month and a half to get it installed because I'm so remote. I couldn't get a guy to come out and actually put it in. And so it was it was for a while. It really was a deep work location because there was zero distractions. I couldn't watch TV. I couldn't you know no radio signals up there. Um, but yeah, it is pretty remote. Um, if anybody's listening to this and familiar with Trinity Lake, we're right at the very tippy top of Trinity and they did have a big fire come through this year. And, you know, it's just funny cause I drove back this morning and I, uh, was talking to a guy who lives up there uh, this morning at the gas station as I was coming back here, he's going to do some, uh, plumbing work on the place for me. And we were talking about, you know, why the fires have increased and where they're at, but just so um, we, we're on the same page. So the Monument Fire was the fire that we were under threat from, from and it, it did like 170,000 acres of burn. And like I mentioned, it's really remote up there. And so in that 170,000 acres, it had really only destroyed six structures and not a lot of incredible damage. Um, I actually drove up there at two in the morning and got past the road closure because there was no one guarding the road closure point. And so I just kept going. And I got up into the fire, like, and I was surrounded by fire and I could see the fire truck up there, but it's not like you see in the movies, you know, it was, it was what's considered kind of good burn. It was kind of just burning the stuff on the ground. Every once in a while it'd shoot up a really dead tree, but it wasn't like spreading through the canopy. And, and in fact, if you drive out there now, you still get a lot of green. Um, And, you know, there are pine trees that the only way the pine cones will open up and release their, their seeds is if they they burn, you know, and, and so right. part of burning is kind of part of nature. And this guy I was talking this morning was talking about how part of the issue is, is that we used to have a lot of grazing. Like you would put animals out there and they yeah. eat all the stuff that's kind of mid-level to low level. So the fire doesn't have a chance to really go up. And 
you know, we haven't allowed grazing for a long time in some of these areas. And as a result, you get kind of the mid-level growth, which allows fire to shoot up. But anyway, that's not really what happened here. What happened here was they try to do what's called a back burn, where they come in and they use these drones. It's pretty crazy, actually. They take a, this really pretty cool-looking drone, and it has a payload of these, like, little ping-pong balls full of uh, accelerant, basically, you know, a little <laughs> chemical. And essentially what happens is it like pricks it and drops in another chemical that causes it to then like over a few seconds or whatever to ignite. And then they drop these strategically because the terrain up there is so remote that you can't really get to it. You know, it's not like you can just drive up there. It's, you know, they call it the Alps for a reason. It's like truly mountainous. So they're using this drone. And the the idea was we're going to create a big firewall or we're going to, we're going to do a controlled burn. So when the fire gets to it, it'll stop because there's no fuel. But they did it on a bad day, and the wind picked up, and it burned. I mean, it was moving at about a pace of about a, a mile to two miles, you know, per week towards our cabin. And in that one day, it did seven miles. It just, I mean, it got within two thousand yards of our place. Um, we were the very last house on our road that didn't take damage. The next house survived, but t- took damage. And then, as soon as you get past that house. It's like something out of a movie. It's just moonscape, black sticks and darkness. I was up there just this week looking at it, and it's it's really tragic because we know a lot of people that you know own their homes. No one past us lives on the grid. They have no electricity, so these are really remote locations. Some of them are really big ranches. There's a corporate retreat up there called Alme Ranch, which is beautiful, was beautiful. So yeah, it's it's pretty sad, but um, it's a you know it'll it'll take two lifetimes probably for that to recover that section that scar but the stuff past it's fine like it'll take a year and it'll be back to you'll never even know there's a fire but yeah it is really weird how you know california has that we you know i live down in livermore currently and last year we had all the fires around san jose i mean everything around us was on fire with smoke was so bad it couldn't breathe so we took all our valuables and took them up there so this year we brought them all back so yeah i don't know california has fires it's just part of life here i guess but anyway thanks for asking but yeah it was it was pretty nuts yeah yeah i've grown up my life in tornado alley and yeah that's a it's a different kind of thing right because you can't you can't see it coming uh i mean you you can but there there's not that kind of long drawn out wait yeah, I mean, uh, I, I was watching it move for a month, you know. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I grew up in central Kansas and, you know, that there would be times like we, you know, sit out on the deck and watch the, the clouds like you sirens are going off and we're <laughs> idiots, you know, outside. Oh, I think That's we can awesome. see it. But, you know, the the uh the devastation is is just as bad it's just different right it's usually yeah. a very uh tight corridor um if you get one of those tornadoes that you know they're they're awful when they come through but you know there's just not much you can do right you wait for the siren you go down to the basement or interior room yeah. and that's just kind of what you do um this just seems like a such a different thing and i know Right. Regardless of where you live, you've got your own natural disasters is waiting to happen. There's hurricanes on the on the East Coast or fires on the West Coast or whatever the case may be. But it's, um, you know, I'm glad everything's okay. And it was definitely something that I I was keeping track of for sure. 
Thanks, man. It was it was an absolute miracle because that Tuesday. So, you know, Monday was Labor Day and, you know, we got the evacuation order and they did the order because they were planning on doing the back burn and they didn't know it was going to happen. And the worst happened. But anyway, so I, I left and the next day, I you know, my neighbor called me. He's like, it's all gone. It's Because I mean, and I've heard from them who were still there that you know it's louder than a locomotive like you could hear the fire oh. it was so loud and because it got up in the canopy and it was just like you see in the movies an inferno it just burned everything i mean there's because uh, I, I drove up there and and it like you know atvs like little quads yeah yeah <laughs> i couldn't tell what they were they looked like like railroad cars or something there's these little four little wheels in this little metal frame i mean it everything like you'd see stone foundations but there was no evidence at all that there was ever a house there. It burned everything to ash and it was so hot that it just melted stuff. So yeah, it was pretty crazy. And so, like I said, it got 2000 yards from us. And then fortunately the wind took it North kind of popped over the mountain behind us. Uh, but the next day it moved another thousand yards closer. So it was only a thousand yards at that point. And then uh, Thursday, for those of you who are from California, remember, we got this freak rainstorm that no one was expecting that came out of nowhere, dropped way more rain than anybody predicted, and it just really kind of stopped the thing in its tracks and saved a lot of people, which is pretty amazing. So, yeah, I was just on my blink cameras watching them all night long, waiting for the house to burn down, but it never did. You know, I got to watch the rain instead. I've never never been so happy to watch a black screen <laughs> with little raindrops falling, you know, every once in a while and listening to those puddles form. It was kind of oh, awesome. But, yeah, it is really hard to drive away from a place knowing that, it might not be there when you come back and it's a weird feeling. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Hey, uh, enough of that. Like I said, I, I'm glad everything is um, okay with all of that. You, um, you got a new project in the work. Is your, is your new project still in the works? Is this? Yeah. This yeah. Along? Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not to create competition, but um <laughs> Yeah, so the challenge. <laughs> well, hopefully we're complimentary, but yeah, so you know, I I um I've been doing consulting here in the Bay Area for the last three years in, in an area different than CX. And I did it as a personal favor to a friend who owns the consultancy group. And you know, my wife worked for him years ago when I was actually working for Zynga, we were based here. And we had just come back from Korea. I was living on the East Coast and he was like, hey man, I really need help. I just won this huge bid, half a billion dollars of you know, bond money I need to kind of manage and I, I need help. So um, it was a real shift for me because I'm doing stuff that I haven't done in a long time, like building websites and creating communication documents and advising, you know, boards and all kinds of crazy stuff. But it's still good and it's been a nice growth process and I'm doing a bunch of different things for several different clients, but it's not what I love. And and coupon went public in May and it just made me really miss, you know, building and forming teams and like doing real true CX. And I have a little consultancy uh, called Start With Care. I've got a little <clears throat> uh, sign back here that I've kind of toyed with over the years. And I've worked with several different clients on and off. Uh, recently, I did some advising at Gusto, uh, if, you, if you're familiar with that company. And, you know, I, I, you know, years ago, I did some work for TP because they were trying to kind of figure out a way to go teleperformance, how they could go from just being an outsourcer to kind of a, a full stop shop. And, you know, and I, I, I work with Officium uh, in that regard. But anyway, uh, so I'm leaving that consultancy and I'm currently trying to find a new role. 
but I'm taking my time because I want to do something that I really uh, can sink my teeth into. Fortunately, I did really well with Coupon and a few other companies in my past, so I have that latitude. Um, but in the meantime, you know, I, I just really felt the pull to start talking more about CX. And my wife said, you know, it's funny because the Start With Care logo, I don't know if you can see it back here, but, um, you know, you know, the on button has that kind of little circle with the line at the top. So I just took the line and made it into a plus, which is kind of the universal sign for first aid or care. What the concept being is that when you're going to turn your company on, make sure you're thinking in 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 terms of how do I support my customers? Because there's way too many companies, Coupon being no exception, who grow so fast and get so far down the line before they even start to think about this. And then you spend years trying to clean up a mess that never should have happened. And I'll give you an example. I I uh, did some work with Clutter. I don't know if you've heard of them. They're a startup here in, in California. They're they're pretty much across the U.S., I think, at this point, continuing to grow. Their concept was, um, you know, the, the traditional storage unit is very flat. You know, you got like, uh, U-Haul's built a few that are multi-story, but they're a pain in the butt because how do you get the stuff up there? But, you know, most of them are designed so that you drive in, you pull up to your unit, you lift the door, and you load your stuff. And they thought, you know, this is such a huge waste of real estate and space. What if we tried the Amazon model of vertical storage, massive warehouses, and we just barcode all of your boxes. And so when you want to store something, we ship a truck out to you. We pick it up. We take it to our warehouse and sit it on a rack. When you want it back, you go, I want this one back. And you just scan the barcode and they bring it back. Great idea, great concept, very innovative. They've done very well. It's cheaper because you don't have to rent as much space. So it's working really well. The problem is, is that in the early days, they didn't structure well. And so now they've got customers that are going, hey, where's grandma's piano? And they can't find it, you know? <laughs> so I want grandma's piano back. And they go to pull it from the warehouse and nobody knows where it is. And now you've got a 50,000 square foot, you know, warehouse with eight levels of vertical storage. And you're, you know, how are you going to find that piano, right? So they just made some fundamental mistakes in the early days, and the you know the question they were asking me was, well, how do we, how do we solve this? And I'm like, you don't, you eat the pain. There's nothing you can do here. It's too late. You screwed the pooch. You got to eat your dog food. You made it. You got to eat it. And so now they're they're living with that pain. But here's the lesson: never do it again. You know, get it right. Figure out what caused the yeah, problem yeah. and make sure it never happens again. And build build forward. Um, and then deal with it going backwards. So, but just. I mean, I've lost my train of thought. Well, I can't remember what the original question was because I got so down the clutter road. Well, we were going to talk about your podcast, but now. Oh, I've yeah, that's this, where I'm going. I've Sorry. Got this yeah. vision of the end of uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark in my mind with this warehouse. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Exactly. You're, and yeah, where where is the where is the Lost Ark, right? Grandma's <laughs> piano. Anyway, where I'm going with that, where I was going with that is. Um, is that, you know, I just, this whole start with care and thinking about things in the right way. And so my wife and I were talking the other day, and she's like, you know, maybe you should just start doing a kind of a basics podcast on the basics of CX um, and call it CXRX, right? Like the prescriptive nature of CX. And it kind of goes with the plus and the first aid concept. Mm -hmm. And uh, a buddy of mine who uh, works at an outsourcer now, but used to do a lot of communications work and sales work for teleperformance back in the day. His name's Rory Stark. He's an amazing guy. Um, he's like, yeah, you, you should even get like a lab coat. And when you do your podcast, you know, like you could even go speak and talk about it and stuff. Anyway, it got a little silly, but the point is, is that, you know, I'm going to try to keep it really simple. It's not going to be 
kind of what you do. I think what you do is really fascinating. I've enjoyed the podcast so far. Um, it's really going to be more kind of, a, you know, a, a customer service 101. And because there's way too many people out there who don't know what they're doing. There's way too many companies that go, oh, you were an agent on the last product we launched. So why don't you go run the whole program for the mm -hmm. next one? And it, to me, it's just really ironic. I'm studying accounting right now in an MBA program. And, you know, there's these standard best practices that everyone adheres to worldwide, right? There's accounting yeah. practices that everybody follows because it's just been universally agreed that that is the way things should work. And it's ironic and crazy to me that we haven't got the same set of concepts and principles around CS in the world today because there are just core fundamental like if you don't have a workforce management model then you're screwed you're going to spend way too much money you're going to be inefficient if you don't have a single source of truth in a knowledge base you're done if you don't have some kind of a cloud-based you know uh crm platform to where you can you know, manage your your customer information that that works across your whole organization you know you're, you're limiting yourself so there's just these core things that i feel like you know, there's a potential just do a kind of a light and easy podcast, kind of a Khan Academy of, of CX. So that's the idea. Uh, I'm hoping to kind of get it launched here in the next couple of weeks now that I've got the latitude with me moving off of these contracts. So we'll see how it goes. I may be hitting you up for help. Hey, how do I do this? <laughs> <laughs> you can absolutely do that. I, I'm excited for it. I uh, I think it's a great idea and I'm I'm definitely looking forward to it. So I, uh, I will also make sure that um, we put a link to uh, start with care in the, in oh, the liner notes. So anyone checking out the podcast, uh, whether you're on YouTube or uh, you're uh, listening to it, wherever you get your podcast, you can absolutely go check that out. Um, you know what? It's been great having you on. It's been <laughs> absolutely great. I talk too much, man. I'm sorry about that, but I yeah. love stuff just like you. And, and uh, you know, that's the thing. Like, you started the questions off with, like, how do you keep the passion around CX over for 20 years, you know? And it, you just have it or you don't. And you have it, I know, because we, we, you know, we met through CX, right? Talking about our fundamental problem with what someone was saying. And, you know, uh, uh, and I'm just, it's always great when you meet someone else that's in that space and has that same passion. And and I felt that the very first time we talked and then even the second and that just has grown from there. So this has been just as much a delight for me. Uh, you know, I'm not as probably fancy as some of your other guests. I don't have a book I'm peddling or, you know, like oh, a, a cool on. title at this point. It's really just more about a passion. But yeah, I appreciate the start with CareLink. If anybody's looking for help or just wants to talk, you know, that's what I do. And um, I, you know, I know that the company you're associated with does some pretty awesome stuff too. So hopefully that I appreciate that drives some direction. You know what? I do want to just put out there, like, uh, I, and this applies to all future guests of the podcast. Uh, I, I just like meeting interesting people, right? I love having a great conversation with you, learning more about you. You know, I was at, um, you know, ICMI had their contact center, uh, digital expo. It's today and tomorrow. And yep. so I spent most of the day uh, just networking there. And, you know, I'm I'm telling people regularly, like, I just want to get to know you. Like, I'm not trying to sell you anything. You know, if, if you're interested in, in what we do, um, I'll be more than happy to talk to you about that. But really, I just want to get to know more people. I think um, that's the 
the best part about the business that we're in. It's probably the best part of most businesses is the people that you work with or the people that you get to know. And so the guests that I'm looking for, I tell them all, like, I'm not chasing a title. I don't, I, quite honestly, I don't even want it to be a commercial necessarily. Like, I just want to have a conversation that's interesting that other people may get some insight out of. And, uh, you know, we can spend some time just having fun and getting to know each other. So, well, anybody who's got, you know, the the Beatles made out of Legos behind them has got to be incredibly <laughs> interesting. So, I mean, the very first time we ever talked, I'm like, okay, I got to hear the story. Like, where, where are these come? Because that's just awesome. But um, I appreciate that. Yeah. It's been great. Well, so everyone who's not, on YouTube, uh, you can check out uh, one of my videos on LinkedIn or YouTube, and you can see the Beatles. Yes, they're Lego, and uh, yeah, makes me happy. So, and you put them together, right? I, I I put them together. I got one as a gift, and uh, I was like, well, okay, now I got to get three more because <laughs> so just I, I got to ask, you know, the the Lego Movie question. So, did you super glue them down, or are they? No. Oh, there you go. No. She- Okay. Very nice. No, no super glue because, you know, not that I ever plan on taking them apart, but you just never know. Right. That's right. That's good. Start calling you Emmett. You're the special man. That's awesome. (laughs) All right, dude. All right. JSL. Hey, it's, uh, it's been great having you on and, uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks for joining me on next in queue. Yeah, I'm definitely going to have to have you back uh, on my side if I ever get this podcasting going and have you uh, buddy up. And maybe you can take a subject um, you know, piece for me and, and run with that. I'm, I'm down. In education. So, yeah, that'd be awesome. Thanks, man. Well, yeah, I'm right. going to talk anytime, and it was awesome. All right. Fantastic. Well, thanks, and we'll talk again soon. All right. Cheers. Cheers.